Hey Black Health Lit family, welcome back to the Black Health Lit podcast. Today's episode is focused on fibroids, which is a condition that is plaguing black women. I had a conversation with Dr. Evans, who's a professor at Howard University. Shout out to all the HBCU graduates. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and you learn about detection, causes, prevention, as well as treatment for fibroids and make sure that you spread the word. Today we are discussing fibroids fibroids with Dr. Evans. Before we get started, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Dr. Joy Vena Evans. I am an assistant professor in the College of Nursing at Allied Health Sciences at Howard University, and I am very interested in fibroids. My research um, is focusing on uterine fibroids, and I am also um, someone who's dealt with fibroids as well. So super excited to be here. Perfect. So let's, let's just start with what are fibroids? So essentially fibroids are non-cancerous tumors and growths that, um, women tend to have in their, uh, their uterus. There are fibroids that can grow inside of the uterus cavity and then also, um, outside of the uterine cavity. So the location is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And that is determined essentially through um, ultrasound or MRI. And the physician will actually send the individual for testing so they can see exactly the size of the fibroid as well as the locations. Okay. So that's good. I like that you share that they're non-cancerous as well as the location of the fibroids and how doctors and healthcare providers can identify these fibroids and make a diagnosis. What causes fibroids? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is even from from my research, from talking with different physicians, there's not necessarily a known cause of fibroids. Okay. um, That I've noticed in terms of my family and that what has shown in the literature is that it tends to run in families. So um, the youngest of five, there's four girls, one boys, and out of the five, three of the four girls have um, fibroids. There are six surgeries between the three of us um, that we've had. And I also want to go back really fast. Fibroids can also be diagnosed through annual exams. So when the physician is actually um, checking, um, and sometimes, you know, they'll use not to, not TMI, you know, but this is a, a health podcast, right? But when they're using yes. their fingers, end up inserting their fingers into the woman to like check around and they can actually feel the fibroids as well. So you can feel them, you can um, see them sometimes protruding. And then, you know, again, to, to find out more, that's where that ultrasound and MRI is extremely important. But again, from the literature, there's not necessarily a known cause. There are some, you know, some preliminary research that does show, you know, different things as it pertains to certain foods, you know, can, as well as hormones. um, Yeah. Okay. Foods, hormones, uh, sounds like genetics or it can run in your family. And I'm sure there's, there's probably other causes and things that researchers are still looking into uh, when it relates to the causes of fibroids. Absolutely. And, you know, and even from a genetic standpoint, the literature shows that more black African-American women, um, at a much larger rate than any other um, racial group. Yeah, I can imagine that. Do you know if there's any research or do you have you done any research to figure out what, if, if the causes are different 
in black women versus white or Latin women when it look when it comes to the causes of the fibroids? So what um so I have not actually read that, but what is interesting is that there's definitely a link between the treatment options or the type of treatment that women um receive at to their socioeconomic status. Okay. The link as it pertains to the type of insurance, um, their income, their education, and the type of treatment that they get. So whether they have a hysterectomy and completely remove their mm-hmm. uterus, whether they have a myomectomy, which is just a removal of fibroids, okay. whether they yeah, other um, treatment options, there is a link between that and their socioeconomic status. I can imagine. Treatment is driven so much by... Um, not just people's diagnosis, unfortunately, but the type of insurance that they have, which is very closely related to socioeconomic status. And I just find that interesting with all health conditions. Two people can have the same exact condition, same age, same everything. But if their money is different, or their, which is their insurance is different sometimes, unfortunately, because healthcare is a business, they get different treatment. So yep. not surprise me. So next question, Dr. Evans, is there a way that we, especially Black women, can prevent fibroids or is it so, or is it inevitable? Yeah, it's uh, as of now, um, there's no known prevention strategy, okay. right? A way like if you do A, you're never going to get fibroids. So there's um, no known prevention strategy. Okay. Um, However, um, I can say what I can share is this, and this is from my own personal experience. So when I was diagnosed with fibroids, um, from the time I was first diagnosed to the second time when they started, they weren't necessarily causing issues, but they were growing larger. Okay. There was about an 11-year time span. Wow. And one of the I did was, you know, I did some, again, very preliminary research, just reading up on the things that I saw was links with um, caffeine. Wow. Links with uh, fi- different fibrous tissue and, you know, different things like that in caffeine. Okay. So I back on a lot of that. Now, I'm not saying whether that helped or didn't help, but yeah. during that, I became a vegetarian. Um, I made a lot of, like, um, cho- different choices. Not yeah. necessarily fibroids, but because of, like, just holistically. Yeah. And it was again well over eleven or so years from the first surgery to the second surgery. Okay. Now I argue that there was a possibility because some fibroids were left in me after the first surgery because it would have been they were much smaller and it would have been a greater chance of um, scar tissue or you know other other issues if they were removed. So some of them were left, and so they ended up growing over the years. You know the the eleven years or so, and so. Um, those those uh, changes in terms of the the growth, I do believe that I was able to slow them down some um, during that ten years because it's just some of the dietary changes that I made. Yeah, that's good to know. And I was going to ask you to share some of your personal experience with fibroids. 
Um, I've had a personal story with fibroids as well. I'll share after you, you share a little bit more about yours. Um, but can you talk more about your experience from a, a standpoint of the lack of transparency when it comes to women's health in general? So menstruation cycles, you know, just, I feel like women's reproductive health in general is just so, Ooh, we don't want to touch that. It's hush hush. Can you talk about, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, so with me, I was actually, I was working at a hospital in Flint, Michigan when I was diagnosed. So something was going on and really it started because my iron levels, my hemoglobin started dropping. I already had a history of anemia, so it wasn't too much of a concern. So I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm used to this. Yeah. But then um, the more we start looking into it, realized that my cycle had gotten heavier, a little bit heavier. So it wasn't for me. Right. It wasn't like, oh, this is a lot. Um, A lot of times the doctors will ask you, well, how many paths do you go through? And I didn't think anything of it because I always change. Like I'm just one of those people who consistently change um, paths. So I didn't think anything about it. I thought it was normal. And so um, when they start looking deeper, they're like, okay, your iron is dropping because your cycle is getting heavier. You're losing more, you know, blood during your cycle. And that's why your iron is um, dropping. So from there, um, went to the, um, went to my gynecologist. It was time for an annual. And that was when she ended up sending me, she could feel a little something, sent me to get an ultrasound. And that's when it was essentially diagnosed. And then, so I ended up having an actual um, episode where, It was, I was at work and it was like a gush. And when I say a gush, it was like a gush. And thankfully, ever since I was younger, I've always worn black whenever it's that I'm just, I was just always nervous. Right. And so it was such a, um, a gush where I had on like black pants. I had on like these black sort of like, um, spank, think of like spanks, but they're more like panties. So I had those on. So nothing came through, thank goodness. But when I went to the bathroom and I saw all of this red blood, I started freaking out. So I called the gynecologist's office and there was a different person that was there because mine was actually on maternity leave. And so um, so she was like, oh, just go to the ER. Well, I work at this hospital. So I'm like, I'm not about to go to the ER. I have all these people. And I work with I work with all the medical students, residents and physicians. So I'm like, I'm not about to have all these people in my business. So um, there was another gynecologist that I knew. I reached out to him. And so he put me on. Um, He had me take one month's worth of birth control pills in one week to stop the cycle. So every day I took four birth control pills, like every day for like, you know, that week. And that's what actually stopped the cycle. Because the other thing is it kept going. So it's like it it was almost like it wasn't going to stop. So he did that to, um, to stop it. That's when the by that time the ultrasound came back, um, the results and saw that there were fibroids, saw some of the sizes and the locations. And I'm gonna be honest, I do not remember the locations um from that time frame. And so I was working with a reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility specialist at the time on research. And so I ended up going to him. And so he, you know, did some more testing. He did a 3D ultrasound, did a lot of different things. And so um, eventually we got my iron levels up and then that's when we ended up doing a a minimally invasive um, procedure to remove the fibroids. And it was um, called like a laparoscopic myomectomy. 
So they go in like with a little, like sort of like a little scope and um, a hysteroscopic, laparoscopic myomectomy. So anyway, went in with the scope, was able to see and then sort of like hook in and take it out. So it wasn't like a long line. It was like two or three really small incisions. And so that's how um, he did it then. But while I was in the hospital, I lost a lot of blood. So I ended up having to have um, like a transfusion while I was in there and um, and which we already knew that that was going to happen, which is why on the front end, he had me do an iron infusion. It was all it was just a lot. So I will say this. If you do have to have a surgery for the fibroid removals or hysterectomy, whatever the case may be, those surgeries are known for huge amounts of blood loss. So you do wow. have to that the physicians are aware that, and you know, they tend to be, but you still have to make sure that you advocate for yourself and make sure that you know what your hemoglobin levels are and that your blood is um, at a decent level. And so with all of this, I just want to share this is that, so going back to something that you said, yeah. my family, we didn't really talk about cycles. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't know when you really think about it, I didn't know what a normal cycle was because my cycle was normal to me. Right. That was that I knew. So whether it was heavier or not heavy, I didn't know. I've never had cramps. Never. Thank God. <laughs> but I've never had. You're cramps. lucky. <laughs> right. I never had cramps, you know, anything like that. And so it's just something we don't talk about as a whole. Menstruation is seen more as a taboo. I remember there was um, um, Renita Bingham. She's a social worker out of Flint, Michigan. And so we were having a conversation and she ended up sharing that cycles as a whole is seen as something that's ill, like we don't talk about. Yes. She said, you think about if you if you're on your cycle and you're at a restaurant or you're at school or whatever, we hide the pad or the tampon. We do. Or put it in our pocket or we, you know, put it in our pants just to make sure no one sees it because it's not seen as something that's normal, but it is a yes. normal life. So we do have to start communicating and talking about our health our cycles and all that within our families. Absolutely. And you're 100% right about us hiding our um, cycles, our periods, that time of the month, the rag, all the different things. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I got my cycle and my mother, who's a registered nurse, had taught me all about cycles from a clinical standpoint and probably... <laughs> Shared a lot of information about it, you know, but I needed to know. So we talked about it in that sense. But I remember in sixth grade, my cycle came and I needed to go to the restroom to change my pad. And so I was, I hit it. I had like stuffed it in my bra and I was like, I'm sneaking off to the restroom and I'm going to change my pad. And I was walking down the hall and I was at Catholic school at the time. I was walking down the hall and guess right when I get to the bathroom door, maybe a few feet away, the pad drops. I hadn't secured it. It drops. I was horrified. <laughs> so, and that was, oh my God, more than 20 years ago. Um, but I still remember that day of trying to hide my cycle and then being horrified by something so small, like dropping a pad in the hallway, not a used pad or a bloody pad, a, a clean pad in that always packaging and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, my secret is out, uh, which is not a good way for girls to grow up because then it hinders them from learning about it and knowing what's normal. And we really should be talking about it just from a health standpoint. It doesn't have to be in a sexual way or in a um, 
shaming type of way, but just what's normal? What should we be looking for? When should you talk to your doctor? What is your family history so that we can have better overall reproductive health and uterine health? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to share this. What for my friends and I, what made us a little and and I know I'm aging myself and that's okay. But what made us a little more excited about it was Judy Bloom's book, Are You There? God is Me, Margaret. And in that book, it was a they, it was a group called the PTS, the Preteen Sensations. Now, a movie just came out. And yes, I did go see the movie. But the movie did come out, Are You There? God is Me, Margaret, based off of this Judy Bloom book. But anyway, in the book, it was seen as um, exciting. So, you know, we're going to let each other know when we start our cycles. We're going to talk about getting our first bra, you know, all of that. And that's yes. one that made coming on our cycle a little more exciting was because of the book and this um, club, so to speak, where, you know, we were able to talk about it. But again, yeah, I, I would say that I learned more from Judy Bloom. And at the time in school is when they had the sex education class where they talked about menstruation and pads and yeah. they little sample pads. I, I would probably would say that I learned more from those aspects than in the house. Again, it just wasn't something that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that we can move past that, especially as a black community. So I know you do a lot of work and you do research, you are, you teach, but you also have a nonprofit, right? Yes. It's about your nonprofit. Yep. So I, um, I actually started the nonprofit advocating for my uterus. Um, it was conceptualized actually when I was in the hospital after the second surgery for the fibroids. So what I shared earlier was about my first experience. So years later, um, I actually, I knew that they were growing back. There were no symptoms, so I didn't have any pain. It, you know, the cycle was still consistent, yeah. but what did end up happening eventually is I could tell that one was like pushing on the plaque because I started having, um, having to go to the bathroom all the time. Okay. And so at any rate, so ended up going to get testing, went to, um, went to one of the physicians and this time the physician was like, I mean, you know, get a hysterectomy. Well, I knew I didn't, you know, like it was nothing again, just cause frequent urination for me, that's not a reason to have a hysterectomy. I'm no. taking Right. So I'm like, absolutely not. So I ended up talking to my primary physician. I ended up finding I did a lot of research in terms of different fibroid specialists everywhere, you know. And so mm -hmm. I looked at looked at um, Johns Hopkins. I looked at Cleveland Clinic, University of yeah. Michigan. One um, Dr. Marsh, who had just transferred um, from Northwestern to University of Michigan, made an appointment the next day, uh -huh. had an appointment weeks later, she sent me for an MRI. We did all these different things. And she was like, but, but before I even had the MRI, she was like, you don't yeah. need a history. She said, that is so hysterectomy. Oh, therefore hysterectomy. That's so old school. Yes. Back in the day. Um, and so where you are with barely any symptoms, there's no way that, you know, it warrants a hysterectomy. And so anyway, um, I ended up moving. So it's a whole, it's a whole nother thing that I'm going to just share, um, briefly. Yeah. We're not talking about this, but I'm just going to share this briefly. Um, yeah. I also, during that time frame, I did go through egg preservation. So I did um, oh, um, go through egg freezing. So I have, you know, um, eggs frozen. So Dr. Marsh is also um, a fertility specialist. And so she specializes in that as well. Good. So uh, pandemic hits. 
all of this, these different things going on. And then I moved to the D.C. area. And so um, she referred me to someone that she went to school with. Now, both of these individuals, my primary physician from Michigan, Dr. Yeah. Mark, my primary um, gynecologist, my primary gynecologist from Michigan and here are all black women. So I'm just sharing that from the perspective yeah. of every last one of them. You don't need a hysterectomy. Looking at everything, you know, looking at the ultrasound, yeah. knowing what's going on. You don't need a hysterectomy. You don't need a hysterectomy. Yeah. One person that told me I needed a hysterectomy was a non, I'm going to say a non-black male. I believe and it. That's just the fact. I'm not saying anything against male physicians. I'm not saying anything against anyone that's not black or African-American, but I'm just sharing my my truth and my story. Absolutely. So I went to um, Dr. Um, Dr. Um, Davis, who is um, in D.C. at Sibley, and uh, she did, you know, her her own workup. Same thing, like you don't need a hysterectomy. So anyway, so what made me go ahead and have the surgery is that I could control it because the one thing you have to be careful with with fibroids, there are so many different um, antidotes or treatments you can yeah. wait and and but but the the problem with waiting and see you have to be very careful because if they get too large, it limits what you can do with them. So if mm-hmm. it gets, they put yourself in a situation where you can only have an open myomectomy, which is okay. a full a full cut, you know what I'm saying? Like a full cut, you fully open six to eight weeks to recover. Or you may end up having to have a hysterectomy because they're too large um, on the location. So um, with that, could control it. And so she was able to use the cuts that I had previously. And so she just made one cut one line um, from the previous cut. She she connected them, so to speak. And then she did um, take them out. She did have to do an open procedure because mine had grown larger. Okay. So that night after the surgery, um, when she came around it, she was rounding and she's like, I was sitting up in the bed. So we already know, we talked about this. Like I was an anomaly in terms of yeah. my pain. I was walking a full mile, like 24 hours after discharge. Like yeah. it was amazing. But as I'm sitting there talking to her when she came in rounding, I realized I'm like, I have my uterus because of privilege. Absolutely. And a lot of times we just talk about white privilege or we talk about privilege from a race standpoint. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I felt, it was a part of me that felt sad. I was like, yeah. because, of, because of my knowledge, because of access, because I could pick up the phone and call my primary gynecologist in Michigan. I had her cell phone number. We knew each other, you know, yeah. knew what to do because of my background and research. I knew what to do. I had insurance so I could go to this doctor or that doctor. I had transportation so I could drive. As I mentioned earlier, I was like, oh, let me see. Let me look at Emory. Let me, let yeah. me look at, at Hopkins. Because I was able to, if I needed to fly and yeah. go able to do that. So I'm like, but what about the people who don't know? What about people who don't have yep. access? What yep. about the people who have the insurance where they could do it? And so literally while in the hospital bed, the same day I had this um, surgery, she ended up removing over 20 fibroids. There Woo! were over fibroids in me. Oh, my goodness. So um, my blood did drop, you know, um, as well. Like all these different things, um, you know, happened. But ultimately, it was still an amazing um, process, you know. And so with that, I was like, what about these other women? And yeah. so 
was, you know, conceptualized in terms yeah. of advocating for my uterus. Yeah. And going a little further in terms of my stories with uterine fibroids, but also women who suffer from polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, yep. to bring the education to them. So yeah. you may physically go to Michigan or go to DC for an event, but to have virtual um, events and blog posts about women's health. Um, yeah. So that where it came from to teach women how to advocate for themselves, how to search the literature. Dr. Marsh was the first person, Dr. Erica Marsh, Marsh out of the University of Michigan was the first person who did um, a segment on uterine fibroids. Um, she did an actual teaching where she showed, um, she showed different um, things about uterine fibroids, what they are, how they grow, the locations. And she also shared um, that everyone is different. So even even with um, there may be people where you may need a hysterectomy. Yeah. But for me, that was you know that wasn't um, the story for me. But you know to really look at where you are in life, if you want more children, or if you have children or don't have children, you know all of that to look at yeah. all of um, compared um, along with you know the symptoms. Talk about treatment options, you know, with your physician. And I'm going to say this. If you have a physician who has a problem which you get in a second opinion, you need a new physician. Oh, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Red flag. Exactly, right? And so they should have so much confidence and you know, no I you know, this this is what it is. You know, I'm confident that this is what it is, but also because I care about you as my patient, I want to make sure you're comfortable and you're confident in this decision. So by all means, please feel free to go get a second opinion and you yes. let me know what you want to do. And anyone that's mad about that, you need to go somewhere else. Absolutely. That's a red flag with a physician if there ever was one. <laughs> Um, so what is what is the name of your nonprofit? I don't think you shared that. Um advocating can find you. All right, yeah. advocating for fibroids. For my uterus. Sorry, advocating for my uterus. Okay, I'll yeah. put that in I'll put a link to your organization in the show notes and so people can find you and be educated. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Um, I'm I think so. We'll see. You got it. You got it. These are easy. So the first one is what does wellness mean to you? Wellness is holistic. So I think of mind, body, soul, spirit. So not just, you know, physical wellness. Yes, we need to make sure we're exercising, we're drinking enough water, but also protecting our peace is wellness as well. You know, sometimes you have, you know what? I can't talk to you right now. Sometimes you have to put your phone on do not disturb, you know, um, holistically, mind, body, soul, spirit. Yes, that do not disturb is the best feature that was ever invented on a cell phone. Okay. On social media, block is a great feature too. (laughs) Unfollow stuff and people that stress you out, block, whatever you need to do. So why is Black health literacy important? So I'm going to say it's important because a lot of times, so even when we think about fibroids, um, a lot of times I think people don't understand. They don't know what to do because they don't understand. They they don't have the um, so literacy and health literacy. While there's a link, they're still fundamentally different. And so you can have an MBA from Harvard and not have um, not have high health literacy. 
Right. And so that's the thing is that still knowing what some of the terms mean, still asking, being able to ask questions, okay, uterine fibroids, what does that mean? And then to break it down, the physician or practitioner needs to be able to break it down in an easy to understand language for the patient and for their family. And we have to um, feel comfortable asking those questions. So what are uterine fibroids? Um, what, what are the treatment options? And understanding, because here's the thing, if you do not want to ever have uterine fibroids, there's only one way to never, ever guarantee that you will never have uterine fibroids or that they will never grow back. And that is to have a hysterectomy, right? Like if you don't have your uterus, it guarantees you're not going to have to deal with uterine fibroids. However, that's, that's not necessarily the best approach. So it's, so it's true. If you don't want to deal with uterine fibroids, get a hysterectomy. But that is not just because you have a myomectomy or just because you have fibroids removed. It does not mean that they are going to grow back. Yes, they can grow back, but that's, that's, that's not 100% true for every single person. And so just making sure you understand, yes, this is the only way that you will not have to do with uterine fibroids, but there are a lot more ways and methods where you still will have your uterus, where you still will have a great quality of life. So just making sure that with um, that you are literate, that you know what your conditions are, that you know what um, acceptable blood pressure values are, you know what a healthy weight is, you know um, what to eat if you're diabetic. You, you are having the conversation, what are the foods that I can eat? What should I stay away from? What is an acceptable um, weight? You know, that just that you're asking questions, that you're educating yourself and that the provider needs to make sure that they understand that they have a responsibility as well to make sure that they're breaking it down. Instead of saying hypertension, high blood pressure, and then even breaking it down even more. What does high blood pressure mean? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Sorry about that. My mother uses um, a good example when she explains high blood pressure. She always uses the water hose when she's explaining it to people. You'd be surprised how many people my mom says, do you know your blood pressure? And they say, oh, it's 98. And so many people don't even realize the difference between blood pressure and heart rate. Um, and 98 is not a good resting heart rate, by the way, but breaking it down, like you said, and making sure that people understand because seeing it, hearing it is one thing, but understanding it and having that literacy changes the game. It really does. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you being so candid and down to earth in today's um, discussion and explaining fibroids and treatments and causes and detection. I can't wait for this episode to air and share your organization. And I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you so much for doing um, what you're doing to spread information about health as a whole, health literacy, um, and this important topic about uterine fibroids. Again, it is literally, it, it truly is wreaking havoc on the Black community, all communities. But again, there's a disparity as it pertains to the number of Black women who are diagnosed, but also the number who have hysterectomies. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You have a great day. You too. Thanks.